Non-benders alike, welcome to Braving the Elements, Nickelodeon's brand new podcast about all things Avatarverse. I'm Janet Varney. And I am Dante Bosco. All right, so our last episode, we had a wonderful time recapping episode four of The Last Airbender, The Warriors of Kyoshi, where we met, of course, Suki for the first time. And now we are continuing on with the marvelous Jenny Kwan, queen of the Kyoshi Warriors. And this is all about Jenny now. Eh, Maybe a little bit about Suki, but definitely about Jenny. I would love to get into your backstory, Jenny. You know, you've been doing this for quite a while and have done so, so, so many different marvelous things in entertainment. You're so multifaceted. You're so talented. It's been an interesting road and I'm I'm really, really just happy to be where I'm at today. Will you tell folks who don't know you from outside of Avatar what you were on tour for, other stuff that you've done that you're particularly proud of? My first job actually was a voiceover job. I I played the voice of Audrey's singing voice in a spinoff off of um, Little Shop of Horrors. There was a cartoon called Little Shop. Yeah, so my first job was a singing job for a voiceover. And uh, maybe people may know me from a TV show called California Dreams. It was on NBC. Of course. I was going to bring that up if you didn't bring it up. (laughs) Those are a lot of my friends on that show. Yeah. My little brother was on City Guys. And your brother, that's right. Which is all the Peter Angle. She was part of TGIF. Or T, was it TGIF? Friday? It's a TNBC. TNBC. Mm-hmm. TNBC lineup on set. Peter Angle is a certain era in uh in television yes and you you know you're one you're part of that whole generation. Aww. That's amazing. Yeah. That's when I first knew of you, Jenny. That's when I first was knowing you around town, for sure. It's so weird because it's like we've known each other growing up and then, like, we start to connect when we go, you know, to these different jobs. And, yeah, so I did that for quite some time. And um, I also have done a lot of theater. I played Kim in Miss Saigon. I was maybe the fourth Kim. I was the first Kim who went and started the first national tour for the Broadway national tour. And I've done Avenue Q and done i've been in a couple bands i was in a band called nobody's nobody's angel um on uh hollywood records which is owned by disney and gosh i'm trying to think different guest stars and a lot of vo and just kind of crossing the genres here and still which at is it great yeah, yeah. which you're is a lifer. so which you're is a lifer so great. jenny she's Kwan. a lifer you're, you're a... i am a lifer and i'm i'm owning that i'm a lifer now i'm telling you there were some days when i'm like why am i doing this still you know and then i'll i'll right. think i'm quitting and then something will pull me back you know <laughs> so yes the thing that always awakens me up to why am i doing this is because i don't know how to do anything else <laughs> <laughs> that's why i'm doing this i don't know what skills. That's, that can that can be the thing that keeps you in it when it gets the hardest. So there's something to be said for that. I mean, I I, I can't complain. It, it's work is a good thing, you know. But it but not to say that there's not. I always tell people like when they ask questions, oh, you're gonna work before you work. So don't get it twisted. Like if you really want to get into voiceover or, I mean specifically voiceover, it's like there's a lot of work before you start quote-unquote earning you know in this business like you you really have to know your stuff so take it seriously and I would say too for someone like me there's a lot of work even after you start working because the amount of auditions if we're lucky we get sent all kinds of different stuff there is definitely for for me more so than on camera a lot of 
performances that I give one of into my own gear and it goes out into the universe and then nothing ever happens. But you try so hard. You want to do a professional job when you audition from home and stuff, you know. Exactly. And it's interesting because I don't even think about anybody else. I'm always like in competition with myself. You know, like, because that's one of the things when you can't see other people, it's actually better. You know, you're for me, I'm always trying to just improve on what I'm doing and improve every time. So it just becomes like this little game, you know, but you're right. It's like it goes out into the universe and you're like, whatever happened without a piece (laughs) of me is out, gone. In the ethos. I just always feel like, you know, there's going to be the the lucky handful of people that are going to see this exclusive Dante Bosca performance as his <laughs> character. Right. This one-time performance. Get ready. Buckle your seatbelts. Exactly. You're sending a cameo to one person. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> that is for sure. Well, it's funny. That reminds me, too, just the exactly the way you just put it, Jenny. It reminds me of um, I got I was got to do a, a con. Maybe you guys have, too. But uh, I got to do a con with Lance Henriksen, and he's a potter. Mm-hmm. Um, and he makes, he's like, I make a pot, I make at least one pot a day, but I break at least, like you make it and break it no matter how beautiful it is, no matter how proud of it you are. The idea is that you make it and then you shatter it because it's the sort of Mm. Buddhist approach of you can make great and beautiful work and it's transient and you have to be able to watch it go. You have to be able to let it go as a sort of exercise for your soul. And in a little bit of a small way, that's kind of what we do too, right? Is we sort of make this thing and we can't expect anything from that point beyond, you know, from that point forward. It's like I made a thing. I did. I made the vase as pretty as it could be. Whether it goes off and just breaks somewhere, like, that's not my problem because I made it. And it was, you know, that's like good for good for your soul if you think of it that way. And also that you're thinking about how to be better at it rather than like who's out there trying to get the roles I right. want to get. Like that's so, exactly. you know, that's poisonous. I love that analogy and I love just that imagery of that because so many times, like you're saying, if, if we're lucky enough to – you know, have the work before the work, have the auditions, which in my case, I'm, I'm really grateful to my team. It's like, sometimes I get in my booth and I'm just like, oh my, can I, like, is there something there? Can I bring something out? And then when I do, I'm like, okay, time to let it go. And if it lands, it's like, wait a minute. Oh, it did? Okay, great. Then that's icing on the cake, right? Yes. If not, then you're right. Like you did the best that you could. And I love that shattering image. That's really cool. I love that too. I'm always surprised that they uh, that I book anything. Every time I book a job, I'm like, <laughs> <Me> really? <too. laughs> and also, can I say, Barney, that that story took a turn because you were talking about Comic-Cons and you talked about pottery. I thought you were talking about someone from Harry Potter, and I was like, oh, no. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Person. Yeah. I was about to Google Lance up. I was like, what you character did Lance, Lance play? Come on. He was Bishop in Aliens. You know, he was on Millennium, that show I hardly remember. He was in like seven episodes of The Legend of Korra as a very a threatening lieutenant, and he was great. It's time. The ending of the story about Lance Henriksen is that at this con, on the sort of opening cocktail party of like, here we all are in New Zealand, Lance was uh, standing in the room at this kind of like little bar where people were gathering, and Jason Momoa, I can't remember if Lance walked in or Jason Momoa walked in, but basically when Jason Momoa saw Lance Henriksen, he goes, Lance! And he ran over and picked him up and twirled him around like you do with a baby. Like a little kid who's like, ah! Oh, yes. With the legs flying I believe in the air. That. Momoa yes. just swung him around 
and it was the most adorable thing I've ever seen. I like was I just wanted to hug them both hard because it was so cute. They were so excited to see each other. I have a a six degree separation story about Jason Momoa. So uh, Jason Momoa used to be the boyfriend of my best friend's roommate, and so when she lived mm. in Studio City, he used to just kind of come around in the house and be like, "Hey, I'm here," and his voice is like deep and booming. And so after they <gasps> moved out. I saw him, you know, before he was Aquaman, on Melrose Avenue, and my cousin had just moved here from New York, and she was riding in the passenger seat, and I saw him working on his truck on Melrose, and I was like, ah, oh, he's not going to remember me. So I pull up, I'm like, hey, Jason, remember? He's like, hey, Jenny. And my cousin was like, you know him? I'm like, well, I mean, not know him, know him, but like... <laughs> He was my you know, best friend's roommate. He was really sweet, and I'm hoping he's still, like, as sweet. But that story just kind of reminds me that he's probably still he's very sweet. He's a sweet, sweet. guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he also picked me up in a bar like that, too, Varna. <laughs> you know, he did not. New Zealand. No, yes, he didn't. Yes, he did. He carried me like a child <laughs> several just... times in New Zealand during so a con. Happy. So much so, I had to say, Momoa, dude, you got to stop picking me up. Bro, <laughs> because... You're a very big man, and I'm not as big, <laughs> and we're trying to be cool. Yeah. Can we be cool? Can I be cool? And uh, I am so he, happy. You know, he, oh, I'm so happy about this. When I met him, he's like, you know my wife. I actually did a movie with his wife. He's like, you mm. know my wife. I'm like, not that well. I don't know that well, Mo. <laughs> I don't know Lisa that well. Oh, man. Lilacoy Moon. She's wow. cool. Wow. I can't believe Legends. that we brought up Lance, and that led to that story, and then that still came right. back to Avatar. Like an actor crazy thing is we we were all in the van at this con in New Zealand, Australia, wherever we were at, and he got the call that he booked Game of Thrones. Wow. In the van. I we, love that. Wow. To be with Momoa when he finds out he's Drogo, amazing. But we had no idea what it was. He's like, I just booked this series on HBO. Of course, some of the nerds in the van already read the book and they're like, Oh my god, he's so perfect for that role. And we're like, What role? Cut to like a few years later, I was like, oh my God, that was Game of Thrones. I love yeah. that. That's a great story. Oh my god, That's great. Now, Jenny, when you booked Suki, yes. you did not know any more about the show really probably at that point than- Than us, than any recorded, of us. Yeah, recorded an episode or two. <laughs> and they probably told you it was a one because I think, right, that's what Suki was intended to just be one episode. And then- That's correct. Everyone, Mike and Brian and everyone were like- Oh no, Jenny's coming back. This is a no-brainer. Aww. Like we'd be idiots not to bring her back, right? I mean that they that was the intention, right? So basically, the audition was like any other audition. You know, I get the side sides. If if people don't know, it's like an excerpt from the script. Usually from the script these days. Sometimes they just write lines in for auditions. But it was from the script, and I auditioned like normal, right? Turned it in, like you're saying. Didn't think about it, and so I think I went to Nickelodeon for the callback and I remember that the lobby as you guys know is just it's like someone has like <laughs> like threw up all these colors right in the lobby it's like fantastical with all these people and I'm like oh my gosh there's so many people here and of course they weren't like all for the same part but went in read I think with Andrea at the time. Oh, yes, indeed. We love our Andrea Romano. And then didn't hear. And then I booked the role. And yes, it was supposed to be a one-timer. And so I think thereafter, I might have been on tour somewhere and they wanted to bring me back. And it was just a couple times where I thought, oh, they keep bringing me back. That's cool. And later I found out that 
it's because I guess the fans really loved her character. So I just, I mean, to this day, I'm so grateful. I was so surprised because a couple times when I was on tour, I was in who knows where. I was in, I think one time in Michigan and they had rented a studio for me to record. And I thought, wow, they didn't get what's called a voice match, right? Someone to match her voice because I wasn't in LA to record at Nickelodeon. But I just felt really lucky at the time when that started happening. And I just, it was, I, I, I mean, I can't be more grateful. Yeah, I think the fans, of course, love you, love the character. I think your chemistry with you and Jack, with mm. Suki and Sokka, is just so delicious in its own way. It's so fun. Just the banter and, you know, the the girl throwing stuff back at uh, back at the chauvinistic yes. uh, Sokka at the time. I think people love that. I think it's really wonderful. And then I think the magic and the look of the Kyoshi Warriors and mm-hmm. uh, is amazing. Still the, to today is one of my favorite cosplays that I like to see at oh, cons. It's so when, uh, and I, oh, it's so I was at a con one time and I was doing a panel and literally a dozen cosplayers walked in as the Kyoshi Warriors. I love that. I mean, it stopped the room. Everyone's like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? I had to like go meet all of them and take a picture with them. It's so fascinating. That's so cool. I love that. And it's one of those characters that, especially not just, I mean, the Kyoshi Warriors in general and Suki in particular, that um, in my experience has invited more cross-gender stuff. I mean, I've seen amazing boys who are who are dressed as Suki. I've seen amazing non-binary, wonderful people who are just rocking Suki uh, in her Kiyoshi makeup. And it is so awesome. As there should be. As there should be. It's like seeing a rock star. When you see when you see a Suki cosplayer, I'm like, I bow down to you. I bow down to you. It's so cool. I do too. They put so much um, reverence and energy and commitment. And I can't even do it. Like I haven't even done a cosplay Suki and I've so wanted to. You haven't done years. it yet? No, because if I do it, to. it has to be on point it cannot be <laughs> less know, right? than it cannot it's be true. less than and what i've seen out there the feeling of pressure oh, yeah exactly you just got to reach out to some of the great cosplayers out there that's right for them oh, to help you do your girl, suki cosplay i'm sure there's tons of people out there you guys uh, reach out to jenny kwan <laughs> and let's get it going and let's can we also do a youtube video uh putting it together i would love to see that yeah. i would love that yeah because my one of my makeup artists in friends, related news, the internet is broken because everyone reached out to help Jenny Kwan <laughs> cosplay. The internet is broken. We have broken the internet. Yes, Jenny, I'm sorry I interrupted you. What were you saying? Oh no, um, I my makeup artist friend. He's like, so when are we doing the Suki makeup? And I thought, well, when I get the right gear on, then that's when we're going to be doing it. Because like I said, it cannot be less than than perfect in my eyes, right? It just has to be on point. Well, I'm sure you would be super, super on point. And I frankly, I do hope you decide to do it. But that actually sort of segues into something else I wanted to talk about with both of you. Um, We know Mike and Brian were, of course, heavily influenced by Asian and South Asian cultural references, Native American references, and the show definitely took extensive measures to really try and honor and respect that inspiration. But uh, I am curious to know, and Dante, please chime in as well. I'm curious to know what it's like being an Asian American actor in this industry. I could speak to that. So, for example, for California Dreams, um, and I'm so grateful because originally when I auditioned for that, I auditioned for my best friend's role, 
that she actually booked. So I auditioned for, if, if people know the characters, Tiffany Smith was the typical California girl, beachgoer, um, born and raised. That's me, right? So of course I'm going to go out for that. Um, and it ended up at Network, which is when you go to meet the network executives for, you know, a specific, um, like, channel. The executives want to make sure that you are their choice. Approved. 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 Right. And so it was me, my best friend, Kelly, um, and then my, one of my other best friends named Alitza, who we were nobody's angel together, all of us completely different. And, I know Alitza. Uh-huh. You probably do. And I uh, definitely do. Yeah. See? <laughs> it's small world because we all grew up in, in this industry. But um, so it was us three for the part of Tiffany Smith. Now, Elisa and I did not get it, but Kelly did. And at the time, then I went off to do Miss Saigon. And I remember getting the phone call. Peter Engel called me. He's like, Jenny, do you want to come home and do a TV show? And I was like, okay. And like I hung up the phone. So (laughs) in that respect, you know, for quite some time, I would go out for parts that that were specifically Asian. But I think it was because my agent at the time and my managers, they were like, of course you could go out for this. Someone had to step outside the box. Now, I didn't get it, but then I found out, obviously, you know, a little into the season that they had written that character almost I want to say it was written for me, but I don't know for sure. But I'm going to say it was written for Jenny. <laughs> but yeah, so they, he, I mean, and I remember Peter saying on the phone, he's like, I'm taking a really big risk here, just bringing you back without testing you for network. And I was like, okay, you know, like I just didn't know the gravity of like what he was doing. Um, so I think, you know, they had me in mind because I'd gone to network. Cut to today. For voiceover, I feel so fortunate because I get to audition not only for specifically Asian roles, but I could be a creature. I could be a kid. I could be, you name it. And I will say, I wanted to, you know, brush up on a lot of my VO stuff. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go to our union and I'm going to take one of their free workshops and I'm going to just check it out. I don't know. Like, you know, I've had to learn so much about this equipment and I am not tech savvy. It's like this much, right? Um, But I wanted to get the information. So I go and I'm listening to the panel and I am not kidding you. I'm not exaggerating because I remember going in there. There must have been 300 people who attended. And I looked around and I was like, I am the only maybe Asian person here. Like, so, you know, I don't think that's, a horrible thing because I know there are a lot of Asian actors who are in our industry but I just thought that was really interesting you know and I was like okay I'm nailing this down like I need to do this like I just want to be I just want to keep improving you know no matter what that looks like for me you know and if that happens to benefit other people too then so be it I'm so happy to do that awesome. yeah and with Asian representation in the industry you know we are definitely in like a golden era it's like the this is the highest profile Asians have been in pop culture in the history of, you know, Hollywood. Yeah. Which is amazing, and to be a part of, you know, our careers to be a part of the, the lineage of making that happen now, and with a special project like Avatar: The Last Airbender, this started, you know, fifteen plus years ago, almost twenty years ago now, and Mike and Brian having so much reverence and respect for the things that they were being inspired by, and including us being very important to include. People, especially like me and Mako, in, in the first original cast, uh, to kind of have that authenticity to the project because they wanted aspects of 
of representation in there. And so um, I just think that's a really important thing as we're going through it. Of course, we all know we are making fiction. We are not doing documentary films. We don't need to cast everything precisely, but to 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 approach things with respect and uh, some cultural reference is, is, is really important. And I think I, I do like that's the direction that we're going in. Of course, there's a lot of work to be done. Um, and there's a lot of mistakes we've made as an industry in the past. And we, and we all recognize that and we can all see that. But as we move forward, we're all going to make more mistakes, but we're trying to do it in a way that's respectful to the cultures we're trying to represent and the cultures we're being inspired by and including uh, the people in front of the camera, behind the camera, to be a part of the process to make, to make it more authentic storytelling. Yeah, and I also think, too, you know, with them, you know, using different aspects of different Asian cultures, I think it's also a, a respect thing to have people of Asian descent, you know, be a part of that, like Dante saying, to represent and to make sure it's, it has a sense of validity, right? Because like any culture, you know, we, we know how that feels or know, you know, just the, the story behind it. So I think that that lends to that as well. And it's important. And um, yes, as we move forward, and I also wanted to say it was beautiful how they used different cultural aspects, but also is modern at the time, you know, kind of melding the two, which was very interesting. Mm -hmm. And even like the animation, you know, even as they borrowed some of the like anime qualities, but made it modern for the time and and kind of groundbreaking for the time to go forward. Because people still, they just, they comment about that too. Just the beautiful combination of how they used all those different aspects. Well, this is definitely always comes up in conversations about Avatar, is it an anime? Is it not right. an anime? Mm. Obviously, it's it's American made animation show, so it's not right. necessarily it's an it's an anime. It's American anime, if anything. Mm-hmm. And I, I like to think of it, and it's always called a, a, a it's like a gateway drug. <laughs> it's like a gateway drug of anime. Like if you get started with Avatar, you are going to end up into you know the the just the world of anime. You're going to soon be watching whatever from you know Black Butler to you know, Attack on Titan, all these mm-hmm. things, because it, it borrows from that. It's, it's really being inspired by the masters of animation, of the, of the anime scene in Japan right. and Asia. So uh, I think they're very proud of that. I'm proud that we're like a, a gateway drug for yeah. anime heads, <laughs> That's right. for sure. That's right. Gateway drug. And I'll just address the elephant in the room, which I think will probably come up many times through the podcast, which is uh, I am just very happy to be here, and I would have been completely content to not play Cora if a wonderful woman of color or just not white was was in the mix. Somehow it worked out and I responded to I didn't know even really what Cora looked like per se, but I'm so happy to step out of the way at any given time for <laughs> for anybody <laughs> that isn't me who can better represent anyone in anything. Uh, I'm just happy to be able to talk about the show as a fan at this point and stay connected with it in that way and speak to the things that I can connect with emotionally about a character I played, but also like fully 100% own, like Mike and Brian do. They're universal stories and universal characters, and and when they're universal like that, we all, you know, we all can connect to them, right. and that's the really yeah. the great thing. And and Jenny talked about it before it's like this is they wrote a character for you, yeah, because it. There wasn't a lot of representation of us. We're, yeah. you know, me and Jenny have been around the industry for, I know, 
Thir- decades, <laughs> 30 plus years. <laughs> uh, so, and it's been happened to me where like we wrote this character for you, which is a testament to you as, as an actor and as a person. But the reality is the way Hollywood is, was built, it was built on the pers- perspective and the storytelling of, of predominantly white males mm-hmm. in the industry. And so yeah. they doesn't make it racist. It just makes it their perspective. And so right. they, until they met you, until they knew you, they didn't even know, they weren't even writing for you. They weren't writing for us until they met us. And then once you impress somebody, like we need to write a character like that. Yeah. And as it's as Hollywood's growing, it's there's more different people in the writer's room. There's more different ethnic groups talking and bringing their perspectives to the storytelling. And that's, and that's where we're at. And, and shows like Avatar have helped ushered in this kind of Asian renaissance, which is beautiful. That's one of the most wonderful experiences that I think we all, the three of us, have at going to cons, which is, you know, you see what other shows' audiences look like by virtue of who's standing in a line to say hello to someone or who's getting a photo taken. And I always look at the the, the amazing diversity of the fans of this right. show yes. and the fact that so many of them want to be animators and I'm like getting choked up and they're artists and they're bringing these beautiful pieces that they've drawn for us to sign and and they're they the want to be voice actors and that to me is like you know I'm so happy to be like I'm not Cora you're Cora like you're all <laughs> Cora you are ma- you're going to make the next core like please because getting to see any part of a culture or the color of your skin or your eyes, anything that feels like it calls out to you and feels familiar and feels like you're seen allows you to feel empowered to create and to become a part of that story. And that is so important. Well, I think that's an testament to what you're saying, though, because if you didn't bring the life to Cora, people wouldn't be feeling that affection to be able to bring that out in themselves. So to me, I think it's always important that, I mean, and thank God, because it's like you're keeping the series alive, right? You're keeping that spirit alive. And I think also, too, behind the scenes, it's like kind of like what Dante's saying is that if they don't know it, it, it's not in their peripheral, right? But I think when the opportunity comes to make the change or to you know, meet at the table, that's a time when, for example, someone like me needs to step up and be like, hey, I have this to offer. It's okay. There's room for all of us. It doesn't Mm. mean that, you know, I'm taking away something from you. Just think about what can expand from this point of view, you know, and include so many more people and have your point of view. Because listen, if that wasn't there already, we wouldn't even have a jumping point to go off of so I'm so grateful to be a part of this you know family of Avatar like I just the people who reach out they just truly love the show and it makes me Mm -hmm. love it even more oh I love that I love that all right friends let's take a quick break to just kind of revel in Jenny's awesomeness and then we will be right back with her to talk more Avatar But one question that is important we did not ask you, Jenny, is what kind of bender would you be? Oof, man, I've thought about this. I've thought about this. It's a toss-up for me, okay? So what I finally, finally came up with is I would love to be an airbender, right? Because she's so close to it, for you know, with her fans being able to do that. 
But the close second, the close second was water because I think it's pretty cool. But what about that fire, Jenny? What about that? <laughs> Listen, I got the fire inside. <laughs> Sue, you got the fire inside. That will never, ever die. That won't die. Don't you worry. Okay. But yeah, that, it was hard. That was a toss up. And I have thought about that. I have thought about it. Well, you have to. How can you not think about that being around the avatar first? You can't. You you have to be prepared because people ask, you know? So I do think about that. I don't think about it. I just say fire. Next question. I do want to give a quick shout out to, to your mention of the fans because I feel like that is a huge a, a recurring theme just within this episode, right? We see Iroh with a fan at the beginning when he's like, oh, it's getting a little hot in here. You got to open up a window as you're having your tantrum. So we see we have the sort of precursor, like the Iroh fan, but then we have the Koi who have like a very sort of fan-shaped so fan. So beautiful, yes. Then we have Unagi who all you see is the fan. And then that leads us to these extraordinary warriors with their amazing fans and their ability to use them for uh, all kinds of defense tactics. I just sort of thought about more this last time uh, than I had before. It really stuck out. I was like, ooh, the fans. You know, just the testament to Mike and and all of them and all the anime. Who came up with this, right? To just, it's kind of like alliteration of animation. It's so that rich. It's just, you follow it through. Yes. It's so, so cool. Those guys are brilliant. They absolutely are. They absolutely are. Uh, Got to ask you the shipping question. Ha- is there a ship that you mm. embrace? Doesn't even have to be Suki related. Could just be a general av- world of Avatar uh, ship that speaks to you. No pressure. <laughs> but got to ask for the fans. In this case, the fans I'm talking about are people, not fans. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. People ask who my loyalty goes to. I mean, of course I could say... Suka, of course I could say, um, I, but my, I don't know if my, um, ships exist because it's interesting when people ask me about that too. I think, you know, who didn't get to do a lot of, uh, a lot of just partnering up is Katara and Suki, you know, was when within the group, I would have loved to have seen just what they would be capable of together on their own or even Toph. But yeah, yeah. I mean, of course I have to say Suko, you know. Of course. That is that's her main squeeze. I mean, why wouldn't I say that? Of course. Of yeah, course. Of course. So we support yeah. that. We of course, but of course we support. I would have loved to have seen these other ships too. I absolutely agree. Oh, this has been such an amazing couple of episodes. Aww, I gotta be honest, I feel like Dante and I are getting very spoiled by how wonderful our guests are and just the amazing show that we get to do this. I'm so happy to do this with you guys. Jenny, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for thank being you so much, here, Jenny. for sticking with us for two episodes. We're so glad that you got to be a part of the Avatar family. Please, please, please come back on. I don't want to intimidate you, but that is non-negotiable. So, Tell us everything. Where can we find you online? Sure. I'll try and remember. Okay. I'm on Instagram at Jenny underscore Kwan. I have a TikTok, a Cameo, all under Jenny Kwan, Instagram, Facebook, and my website, JennyKwan.com. That's it. <laughs> all right. That's it for this week. Please tune in next week as we dive into episode five, another biggie, the King of Omashu, and we will be doing it with King Boomy himself. If you haven't already subscribed or followed, please do so. You can do it wherever you find your podcasts. See you next time. 